Praise and honor. Praise and honor unto Thee. Yes, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, thank you for the standing you give us in you by your blood. We are saved, and we're grateful. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to the worship gathering of Mosaic. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I'm a worship leader here, and uh, just love doing this week in and week out uh, with you guys. And so thanks for being here again tonight. I want to call your attention to a couple things. Uh, one thing we mentioned last week, which is our opportunity to partner with uh, Samaritan Community Centers to love on the children in our area. So we have opportunities next week and the following week uh, for us to contribute. Uh, and we're asked to contribute notebooks and colored pencils. So if you would, please do. Uh, let's represent Mosaic well and uh, loving our neighbors uh, in this area. And so you've got the next two weeks uh, to do that. And we'll have bins in the foyer uh, for that. We also have some community leader trainings coming up. Uh, we have two in the month of July and two in the month of August. Uh, each month, we'll, we'll have the same topic, so you just can choose which one you want to go to um, each month. And uh, so all the info's on the screen. You can take a picture of that. You can snap that QR if you want to, or you can just, you know, commit it to memory, whatever. It's up to you guys. Hey, uh, one thing we believe strongly in, so strongly that it's our mission statement here at Fellowship is to produce, to release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world. And one way we do that week in and week out is volunteers on this stage. You may not know this, but if you see me up here, I'm often the only staff person, the only person like paid to be on this uh, platform uh, or, uh, you know, week in and week out, literally we may have one person. Um, and so these are not staffed positions on this stage. And to thank, um, to thank our musicians and our vocalists who are on regular rotations, uh, multiple times a month, st stuff like that, um, I've wanted to for quite some time to take the month of July uh, and give those people a form of sabbatical um, and uh, just give them time, like, John is sitting here, John Schuler. He plays bass monthly. Um, and as, you know, for people like John to be able to just be here in the congregation and to not serve, uh, we're always asking for people to serve, right? And uh, many of us do all the time. And so um, I just want to acknowledge that and to say thank you, um, express gratitude for the people who serve in uh, preparing the table for us to meet our Lord, each week. And uh, I am certainly grateful for the friendship and the way these people serve our church. So for the month of July, uh, we're gonna do more acoustic services. And I love the rhythm of that anyway, because um, this is a room that I want the atmosphere week in and week out to, uh, to engage us with, with God, but also to provide us an opportunity to breathe, to rest, I know I don't, I don't drop kids off very often anymore. My wife, Brooke, does that every week. And 
when she sings up here, she often shows up out of breath because she's just run to three different buildings to drop kids off. Um, and so I, I need to remember that. Uh, it's a good reminder to me that uh, often, especially in this five o'clock service, uh, you might be breathing a little hard when you first sit in these chairs. Or maybe it's the first time you sat down today. If it's a nice day, you've been doing yard work and things like that. And so I want to give us a moment in this space to breathe, to rest. And I've got good news tonight. God wants to speak to you. You're here on purpose. It took a lot for you to get here. And I don't know what he wants to say, but I guarantee he wants to speak. So would you take these moments in the quiet of your heart, in the silence of this room, to invite the Holy Spirit to open your ears, to open your heart. And so in this time, would you ask that simple question? Lord, what do you want to say?
often put this word on the screen and our approach to this old term found in the Psalms Selah is a moment just a moment of quiet in the response to truth to respond often in silence to a holy God so continue tonight Listen in to his voice. Take this time.
Good evening, family. How are you? Good Saturday? Good. Hey, have you ever wished someone would just write you a letter explaining why you should believe in Jesus? Or have you ever just wanted, Lord, just give me, give me a reason to trust you? And so it is with the book of Hebrews. If you have a Bible, a device, it's fine. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're gonna rest tonight. Um, but before we jump into it, uh, really quickly, I mean, the, the teacher, the preacher, the author of Hebrews, we're not entirely sure who it is, but they are a master at explaining some, some apologetics, the reason for faith. Look, look with me just how they've done a chiasm, that is a, a mirrored teaching structure that takes from beginning to end, it begins to mirror point by point by point to the very center piece. This is brilliant. Jesus would often do it as well. And so if back in chapter three, we began that consider this Jesus, the Christ, he's the son over the house of God's house. And then he went into this faithless generation going all the way back to Exodus that you had these people who wandered through the desert and they, they lost faith. They wanted to go back to worshiping calves in Egypt rather than following the living God. And so he calls them, hey, believe, trust, pursue the rest, the Sabbath that they didn't have. And then he goes into the middle section, the greater section we've been in of, look at Jesus, our high priest. I don't know about you, but through this time together each Saturday, I'm having a whole new appreciation for Jesus at the right hand of the Father right now. Oh, it's so good. And then he begins to mirror it back and says, be confident in our high priest and per persevere to, to be like these faithful. We'll hear tonight this faithful generation of old. And next week, we'll look at fixing eyes on Jesus. And uh, chapter 11, you have to read within the context of chapter 10. And so if you look, uh, again, the author's doing something brilliant here in chapter 10, where he's calling us to have faith and to have hope and to have love. Go ahead, Kels, next one. Thank you. Uh, and, and really, in this last section, the next three weeks, the author of Hebrews is calling us to how will you respond to this Christ? How will you act? Not just to know these things, but how will you go? And, and so it, he roots it in this, those, as Doug taught us last week, some lettuce, three of them, the, the let us have faith to draw near, let us hold unwaveringly to the hope, and let us uh, take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so tonight, we'll, we'll rest in that faith. And you ever been to a, a symphony or like an orchestra concert? Do I have any band kids in the room? Students are here tonight. Any band members? Yes, welcome. Uh, in an orchestra and a symphony, that there's certain pieces to it. it. It always starts with an overture. That is kind of a, a beginning to let you know we're getting started. And then it has this first movement, a beautiful movement, a, a work of art. And then it moves into an interlude. And then movement two to crescendo to the end. And, and watch as we dive into Hebrews 11 tonight as the author, he, he has this movement to it. It's poetic in its cadence. Uh, I wish we had more time to go person by person in this chapter, uh, but we don't. I got 25 minutes, so we're, we're going to hear it. But uh, the author brilliantly covers two-thirds of the Old Testament in one chapter. That's, I mean, I, that's a good writer right there. And not only that, it, it's a call for these early church saints, these saints wondering, is Jesus enough? Should I go back to the temple and offer something? Is he actually good? Can I trust him? 
And the author is calling these saints, persevere and trust. And so what I wanna do tonight is I wanna, I wanna read through it. It's 40 verses, buckle up. <laughs> but here's what, here's what I'd like for you to do. However you're best going to engage God's word tonight. So if you need to close your eyes and just hear the word of God read over you, you are welcome to do that. If you wanna follow along on the screen, please. If you wanna mark up in your Bible, whatever's gonna help you in this extended time to engage the scriptures. And, and two things I'd like for you to do. Number one, I want you to use your imagination. And I want you to try to imagine not sitting in Fellowship Bible Church, Northwest Arkansas, but can you take yourself back to first century Jerusalem and you're huddled up in a house together with some other believers and you're wondering, do we need to go across the street and talk to that other Pharisee, that other rabbi, because maybe Jesus isn't enough. Do, do we need to abandon this Christ because what if he's not good enough and what if he's not true? And that's the context he's writing to. And secondly, I'd love for you to, to hear the names that the author's about to mention. And maybe you are a Bible nerd and you like know all the Old Testament references, or maybe this is the first time you've heard some of these names. But what I'd love for you to do is as you see the names, look for the pattern. What is consistent among these people that the author mentions? So friends, without further ado, would you hear now from the word of the Lord? Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. 
People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Beautiful. Thank you, Will. Did you pick up on any trends? 
Two-thirds of the Old Testament in six minutes. How you feeling? You okay? Hey, uh, go ahead and do me a favor. Um, this is a, a safe place. If you're sitting alone, grab someone next to you. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, how would you define faith? Go. Now everybody's like, is he going to blow up our definition? (laughs) Not at all, not at all. As long as you stuck to Hebrews 11.1, the answer was was right there. Who said a Hebrews 11.1? Nice, well done, well done. Cheat sheets allowed. There's a, a couple of common misconceptions in our culture regarding faith, aren't there? Let's just put a few of the the slogans, maybe some idioms on the screen. You've heard some of these, correct? It's it's a blind faith. It's the blind leading the blind, says Bertrand Russell, famous atheist. That's his view of faith. There's no knowledge. There's no reason. It's just belief, right? Blind faith. I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews means. Uh, Or maybe it's uh, Indiana Jones, uh, the Crusades, 1989. He's going. His dad's about to die. He's got to get to the Holy Grail. He reaches the cliff. And what does he have to take? A leap of faith to step out, not knowing what might or may not happen, and thankfully it it happens. It it is a a leap. It is something that that he has to uh, put his trust fully in without having confidence of what might happen. He, He could fall. I love you. I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews defines faith as. Or or maybe uh, you're going back to Miracle on 34th Street, right? Sweet little Susan. I know who Kris Kringle is. He's Santa Claus. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. How many of those movies are we going to make? Right? How many little kids believe? And if you don't know Santa Claus existed, I am so sorry. I ruined that for you. But the belief, you just put your belief and you muster up as if it's this internal feeling. If I can just muster up enough belief, that is not what the author of Hebrews means by faith. Or uh, if you're a Star Wars nerd like me, right? Luke Skywalker about to blow up the Death Star. Luke, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. Have faith in yourself. That, that Again, uh, faith being this, this spiritual experience that we have. But what happens when we don't have it anymore? If it's gone or On the other side, I also don't think the author of Hebrew means that faith is just some intellectual practice, that it's just thinking, right? So so some common misconceptions. So whatever faith is, it's not that. And uh, my wife has been gracious. I used to go mountain biking, and then I almost died. So I don't mountain bike anymore, but she's letting me go to climb, as if, as if mountain biking wasn't good enough, I'm climbing 50 feet up the wall. Anybody a member? Anyone been over at Climb Bentonville before? Oh, it's so fun. It's incredible. So um, here's the thing. They, they put you in there, and I'm there. I'm this, like, 30-year-old. My shoulders popped out weird. My back's still messed up from the bike wreck, and I'm trying to, like, get up this wall, and I am not very good at it. I, if, if you were doing heroes of rock wall climbing, 
I'm not one of them. In fact, I was standing there the other day and I'm looking at this wall and it wasn't a hard one, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, can I do this? And this six-year-old comes out of nowhere and just like zooms up it like a spider monkey and I'm standing there and literally went home. I was so discouraged. I was like, I'm just gonna go home. But, but something, something fascinating, uh, and it still kind of scares me a little bit. So you have your harness, which is like, okay, I, I feel good with that. Uh, you got your shoes. They're going to help you grip. Wonderful. I'm, I'm good with that. They are asking you to put all of your confidence, everything, in this little piece of metal. So they have these belays that are going to hold you. And so um, I am expected to take this, hook it onto me, climb 50 feet up in the air, and know that this thing is going to hold me. Now, um, you don't do that just taking a leap, right? We can agree. Uh, I'm, I can think about it all day. If I think about that wall and I try to climb up it without being hooked in with this carabiner, I'm not gonna make it. So, so whatever faith is, it, it isn't this, that there's a confidence, there's an assurance to it, correct? Or maybe even watch the Olympics. How about some of those swimmers, yeah? How Foolish would a swimmer be to not know how to swim and jump in the water, right? And you want to have kids that you're terrified to take them near the pool? Why? They don't know how to swim. And so I would argue, I love you, that this is not faith, this is foolishness. And it is not what the author of Hebrews describes as faith. And just to take it even further, to look at the teachings of Jesus, he actually has quite a bit to say about faith. So whatever it is, Jesus really summarizes really neatly the beauty and the healing and the saving power of this word called faith. One time, um, Jesus is uh, out with his disciples and they ask him, Jesus, how many times, if someone wrongs us, how many times are we to forgive them? And he says, every time. Seven times, seven times, seven times, seven. And the disciples' response is brilliant. They say, increase our faith. <laughs> I can't do that. And Jesus' response is, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which Jesus is telling us something, it's, it's not the, the size of our faith or the amount of our faith, it's the object. It's not about your ability, it's about what you're placing that faith, that trust, that confidence in. Another time, Jesus um, is headed off. There's a girl who is dying, and a father has said, hey, please come heal my daughter. And he's en route through the streets of Jerusalem to go heal this girl. And there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging. Just get that in your mind. This woman has been suffering this illness for 12 years. No doctors have helped. No prayers have helped. She is looking for something to heal her. And she hears that Jesus is passing by. And she says, if I could just touch the fringe of his clothes, then I could be healed. And so in the midst of a crowd, everyone's coming around Jesus, this woman reaches out and instantaneously is healed. And Jesus stops everything. I love it. You talk about a guy who's never hurried. He slows down and he looks this woman in the face and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you, not not that I want you to be very clear here that it was you reaching out to me. It was nothing you've done. It was the object. It was me that's healed you, that's restored you. So faith, it has a healing power. And Jesus, lastly, is sitting at a dinner party with some Pharisees. 
and uh, they're, they're saving some of the best food and some of the best wine, and Jesus is sitting here, and in comes this woman from the streets. The scripture doesn't give us any description except she is known as a sinner, which means she has no place in this religious leader's house. She wouldn't typically have been invited to the party. But she comes in and she starts weeping at the feet of Jesus and begins to clean his feet with her tears. It's, it's a symbol of, of showing honor to wash the feet of one you're following. And not only that, she begins to anoint the, this perfume. Most Jewish women would have carried around these perfumes and she takes it fine, fine oil and throws it on Jesus as a sign of showing honor. And then she begins to sit there at his feet as if to say, Lord, Help me, restore me, save me. And the Pharisee leans back and says, who is this woman? Or who is this man that allows this woman, this sinner, to touch him? And Jesus, as if he's not even hearing the Pharisee, he looks this woman in the face and he says, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That word there, saved, is sozo. It's talking about a complete restoration of this woman, not just in her eternity, but in, even in her social status to those around her, as if to let these Pharisees know this woman, by her faith, her trust, her confidence in me, has been saved. She's welcome to the table. And uh, if you were to look back, um, the, there's two words that, that where we in the West and kind of in English, we think of faith as, as an intellectual practice or as a spiritual feeling. It's not so in the Bible. The, uh, the, Greek, or the Hebrew word is emunah. Say emunah. Emunah. Em is the, the, the root word for mother, which means to nurture. This is a caring. It's a supportive role. Um, Moses is standing uh, at the mountaintop. Israel is at war. And as long as Moses has his staff in the air, there's victory for Israel. But Moses is starting to get pretty tired after a few days of the battle. And so Aaron and her, two of his friends, come and they amunah. They support. They, they come alongside and they, they stay steadfast with Moses. It's, it's not just they thought about helping Moses. No, they, they committed. They emunah. They, had, they expressed their faith. Why? Because this staff, they were told this staff would be the thing that would bring victory for Israel. A couple of thousand years later, there would be a man named Jesus and he would have a different piece of wood. It wouldn't be a staff. It was a cross. And as long as his hands, he wouldn't be raising it up. It would be raising him up. And his invitation is emunah, support, follow. It's why Jesus says, come take up your cross. Follow me. Not just think about me. Not just have good feelings about me. Do what I do. And then in the Greek, this is the primary term for faith throughout the New Testament is pistis, which was actually a Greek goddess. And it was a Greek goddess of virtue and honor. And so the apostles would come together with these uh, Greek uh, mythologies and they'd start to say, hey, you believe in faith, you believe in honor, you believe in commitment and conviction. That's what we mean. It's something not just you think, it is what drives you, it shapes your entire worldview. And so with those two definitions, we, we come to the author of Hebrews now, knowing that faith is not just an intellectual practice. It's not just a one-time decision. It is an action-oriented life around the person and work of Jesus. 
And it consists of three things. One of my favorite seminary profs, he said, if I could define faith, it would consist of these, knowledge, truth, and commitment. Um, if you look in, in Hebrews eleven nineteen, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. It was not a blind leap. No, he, he took time. He thought through this. He reasoned. He said, okay, I, I, I know the promises of God. I know he can be faithful. It was a knowledge. It was an understanding. It was something he knew. So if we're going to grow and live a life of faith, it involves knowledge. It involves knowing this triune God of love and what he hopes for my life. Not only that, it's trust, and it's trust not only a knowledge of God, but a trust in him, which by faith, even Sarah considered him faithful, who had made the promise that here Sarah, it is coming alongside. She knows this God is reliable. He's trustworthy. I'm willing to put my faith and him, my action, my life submitted to him. Uh, you drove here tonight, which was an act of faith. You put your trust in an automobile or the driver in the car, and by God's grace and their good driving skills, you got here, right? It's good news. Um, you will eat dinner tonight, and, and you're hopefully trusting that the person who made that food did not poison you. <laughs> that, that this is good food made by a good person. It, it's an act of faith, not just something you think about. No, no, you, you're putting your trust in there. So it is with the idea here in Hebrews that we know this God. I trust this God. I'm willing to surrender my life and partner with this God, which leads lastly to a commitment, action, devotion, following him, as uh, Hebrews eleven thirty one by faith, one of my favorites, the prostitute Rahab, she had heard about this God. She had heard about this God of Israel who had the ability to lead them out of the corruption and slavery to Egypt through the Red Sea. She had heard about this God. She knew about this God. And not only that, she, she had begun to see how the pagan gods around her, she couldn't put her trust in them. She, they weren't quite holding up for her. And so she committed. Here come these Israelite spies. I know that your God is the God in heaven and of earth. I wanna follow him. It was a commitment. It was not just a one-time decision, but a lifetime journey that she went through. And uh, there's two pitfalls I think we can fall into with Hebrews 11. You've heard of this book as the heroes of the faith before, yeah? That look at all these heroes and heroines of the faith, and by faith they did this, and by faith they did this. Um, first off, notice that at the first portion, it was a lot of victory, and by a worldly standard, the second per- portion seemed to be defeat. I mean, it, it says that women receive the, their dead, those loved ones back from the dead, no like, and then no like explanation, all of a sudden, and some were sawn in two. <laughs> I don't know about you, I kind of want to be the people who receive back their dead, but the author continues to show, again, that, that faith is not something we can necessarily control or manifest, that God has a purpose and a plan for you in this room right now. Do you know that? Do you trust that? Are you willing to commit to that plan? So one pitfall I think we fall into is, I'm no hero of the faith. Me? Are you kidding me? I'm a screw up. I don't have what it takes to, to stand up on a mountaintop with a staff for 
however many days to, to help Israel. If the enemy comes to my house, mm-mm, I'm closing that door. I can't do that. Do, do you know the things and the sins and, that are hidden in my heart that I'm bringing into this room? I'm no hero of the faith. A good friend of mine works at a coffee shop in Bentonville and he just started reading scripture and he got to Abraham and he said, this guy is a jerk. I'm supposed to try and be like him? The guy who lied uh, to like get his wife through the enemy lines? The guy who had adultery and had a kid with another woman as if to try and like get behind God and sneak around and say, look, here's the promised son. Or, or Noah? I mean, sure, he built an ark, but he was, he was not the greatest guy. You're telling me Rahab? Like, a prostitute. That's what I'm supposed to be like? The answer is yeah. The scripture holds these with esteem. Why? Because of their sin? No, because of their faith. That we're invited, the author of Hebrews invites us, you too are a hero by faith, not by what you have done, could do, or would do, by faith. Secondly, um, you, you might be like me. Some of us have the gift of faith. It is a spiritual gift that it just comes very naturally to you. So the teachings of God and scripture, it, it, you hear it and you're like, boom, I'm in. And I would say that is an amazing gift that I don't have. <laughs> because if you're like me uh, and the apostle Luke, you got doubts. You got questions. You may be skeptical. Is this God really good? Look into the evil in the world. Can, can that be? I, I know this God is love, but, but I'm having issues figuring this one out. And friend, if that's you tonight, I would invite you and say that the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's not. If you need help, look at Thomas and Jesus back from the grave, and Thomas is doubting him. And what does Jesus do? He extends evidence to him. He gives him a safe place to ask those questions. And I would invite you, the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's self-sufficiency. And oftentimes, uh, sometimes what I find, particularly with folks um, up in Bentonville I, I, I like to, to talk with, um, is when they uh, come to this, this, this trial of, I don't know if this God exists or if he's good, usually it's a Wikipedia site or an article they read while they were doing some drugs, and that's how they've determined their faith. <laughs> they've said, yeah, that's, I believe this is true, and I love you, but I also have questions, and these are serious matters. And the God of the universe cares. And I would invite you, this is a safe place to ask those questions. So whether you feel like you aren't a hero or you feel like it's not a safe place to doubt, this whole story, these heroes of the faith were full of sinners who had some doubts. But it was the object of their faith that mattered. I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. That to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. It's action-oriented. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have already handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. I love this not hoping to get heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because that first faint gleam of heaven is already in 
inside you. Mm, isn't that good? Um, there's a, a psychologist and an author, and she said that faith is a journey, and every single one of us is on it. Her name's Janet uh, Hagberg. And I want you to think right now, where am I on my faith journey? How am I doing at knowing this God? Do I really trust this triune God? Am I committed to following this triune God? Uh, Janet and uh, her friend Gulich, uh, professors, say that, that there's a few stages they've noticed when it comes to Christians and living a life of faith. It begins with an awareness or a recognition of God. I know or I believe or I trust I have evidence that, that this God exists and he's near and he loves me. It's the first stage. Maybe it's as a child or maybe it's later on in life, but there's an awareness of this God who is light and love. And next it moves from there to the learning life. This is the next to her discipleship, a life of I'm, I'm understanding, I'm studying the scriptures, I'm getting to know this God and his way more. And not only that, I'm, I'm living it. I'm living it out. I'm beginning to, to attempt to read scripture more and I'm serving and holding babies in early childhood and I'm starting to have conversations with my neighbors and my coworkers and my family trying to help them in the way. And Janet says that 85% of Christians stay at stage three because of what she calls the wall. And, and sometimes it's a crisis. Sometimes it's a really, really hard question. We, we can't we can't figure out on our own, but, but at the heart of it, something happens in this part of the journey where what you think and know about God do not necessarily align with how you view and see yourself, and you come to an identity crisis. Paul calls this the I do what I do not want to do syndrome, the mind of the flesh, the mind of the spirit at work, and a lot of us don't like this part of the journey because it is painful. It's painful, and she calls it the inward journey that, that there's three stages of belief in this life. There's what others think you believe, there's what you think you believe, and then there's your core belief, what you actually believe about yourself. And if you listen in the quiet of your heart, next time you take some prayer or silence and solitude and just ask, how does God see me right now? Your response will, will, will tell you a little bit of where you are on the inward journey. Because at this part, at this stage, what Hagberg says is this is where our heart and our minds begin to come aligned with what God's desire is for who we are. And from there, she then moves to the outward journey, that it changes the way that we see the world and interact, finally to a life of love where every single thing we do is in submission to the Lord out of a love for him and a love for neighbor. And friends, out of part in the journey where I'm coming out of a wall and, and I think maybe coming on the inward journey to the outward, starting to be able to see what God's doing both within and around me differently, it is so worth it. Because I don't, I don't wanna just be a Christian. I do want that. But Jesus tells me that, that the world is going to know that I'm one of his followers by my love for one another, for others around me. So I encourage you, where are you in the journey? How often are you living this life in an awareness of God's presence? Have you been taking the time to really learn and actually put to practice the teachings and way of Jesus? Maybe you're at the wall. You're in the thick of the crisis right now, and it is painful. 
Or could you be looking within and saying, okay, this is, this is what God's been up to in my heart, in my soul? Or are you starting to see the world differently around you? I don't see people as problems to be fixed, but as those to be loved. And that's the life I wanna live. Wherever you are on the journey, we can see that there's a pattern of faith. Hebrews 11, it goes from the, by faith, this person, the action they did, and the outcome. And I'd love to leave us with, with two things for tonight. Um, here at Fellowship, we have a practice we call I see in you, which is to, to look at someone, whether it's a staff member or someone in the family, and say, hey, I see in you God is doing this. And it's an encouragement. It's an uplifting. And rather than me stand up here and share some of the heroes of faith who I'm looking at even in this room right now, who are those around you that you see their knowledge of God, the way they trust and follow him and their commitment to him that you just need to let them know, hey, I just want you to know I see your faith. I saw the way you handled that situation and I wanna let you know, good job. It, it encouraged me to follow Jesus more. Who comes to mind when you think of someone who lives a life of faith, and would you encourage them? Maybe a, a spouse, a roommate, a community group member, a friend. I think the author of Hebrews' hope for us in this place is not just to look internally at our own process of faith, but it's to start to encourage and build up those around us. And lastly, I see in you, Mosaic, I see in you a a group of saints in Northwest Arkansas who by faith in one of the most polarizing times in our nation, they lived a life of love. I see in you, Mosaic, who, by faith, a people who didn't just gather in a room to sing some good songs and hear some good truth. No, they actually lived lives that begun to look like Jesus. I see in you, Mosaic, a group of saints in Northwest Arkansas who are not burdened by the chains of addiction or pornography or alcohol, but who truly take the teachings and way of Jesus seriously, and it begins to transform the cities in which we live. I see a group of saints in Northwest Arkansas who eat and live and play differently because they have a knowledge in this Jesus and they trust him and a commitment to his way. And so friends, I would invite you, whether it's in your knowledge, knowing Christ, read Hebrews 1 all the way through 13. You'll learn a lot of good things about it. Or maybe you're in a season where trusting God is not coming as easily. You're wondering, can I actually believe and give this over to God? Or maybe you find yourself in a time where you know, I know this thing is damaging to my relationship with the Lord and others. I trust that, that God has a better way, but I'm just struggling to commit to it. Wherever you find yourself in that journey, the author of Hebrews is inviting you to walk in faith in the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I thank you for my friends in this room tonight and the opportunity to sit under your word. Jesus, would you conform us to your image to help us live and look more like you? Spirit, would you give us the vision and the desire 
to live a life sold out, committed to you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me? And the author of Hebrews closes, and would you read this aloud over our brothers and sisters? Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.